Welcome to the Global River Church Discipleship Teaching of the Week. We hope you enjoy today's message. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit globalriver.org. Well, I want to just uh, share this with you. This was Satan speaking, and it's a quote. I will cause, remember he said in John 10, he's come, the de- Jesus said that the devil had come to kill, steal, and destroy, but Jesus had come to give life in all of its fullness or abundance. And this is what Satan said, I will cause anxiety, war, panic, I'll shut down businesses, schools, places of worship, I'll shut down sport events, and I will cause an economic turmoil. Jesus, quote, I will bring together neighbors, restore the family unit, bring back dinner to the kitchen table. I will help people slow down their lives and appreciate what really matters. I will teach my children to rely on me and not on the world. I will teach my children to trust me and not in their money or material resources. That was C.S. Lewis, 1942. That sound like today? (laughs) Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord, that you're meeting us in many ways, in new ways. Well, I just want to uh, recap. Um, We've now, this is our fifth session of our Global River Church ministry team training, Breaking Free. If, uh, just to recap what we've been saying for the last five weeks, we started and we said that this book is really an account of a love story and the account and drama of war. It's both love and war. And certainly our... um, desire is that you would be equipped. We, we, the foundational scripture we're standing on is out of Ephesians 4, chapter, uh, chapter 4, verse 12. It says that we, the fivefold ministers, are to equip the saints for the working of ministry and become more skilled both in prayer for salvation and healing and deliverance, that you would know your identity. If anything that you pick up over these times is to know your identity in Christ and to know your authority. Those things give us the authorization and both the mission. We looked at the Great Commission to stand and carry on the kingdom advancement to be salt and light. Well, in I know there's been a lot of reading, which you should have been at this point. Uh, you should have read through your Global River Church ministry training handout that was given on the first week. Uh, you had gotten your ministry training manual Uh, which has the modules in it that we've been reading. And then there's been a fair amount of uh, Scripture reading. You should have read through 1 Timothy this week. We're going to do a little recap on that. The reason I think it's really important that we've been taking books. We read the the, the book of Philippians, the book of Colossians. Now we're doing 1 Timothy. Next week coming up, we'll do 2 Timothy. And the reason I want us to capture that is you're going to see a theme that Paul brings to the churches that he is part of the church plant and growth in kingdom. He brings so much truth. Um, I shared out of Sunday's message out of the book of Colossians that uh, that absolute truth that is revealed to the new believers is is an important message for us as we stand in this time and growing in our ministry team capability. And so, let me uh, ask you if you would turn with me to 1 Timothy. I'm going to read out of the New Living Translation. I will, uh, at times, draw from the King James. So, in chapter 1 of 1 Timothy, some of the highlights, the reason I'm going to want to pull out these highlights, I want you to see, foundationally, that your identity in Christ, Paul does this over and over again in his letters, um, 
He, the foundational principles of both character and truth, foundational premise that we need to have grounded in us, Jesus being the cornerstone, and we have to be grounded in to understand our authority that we minister from. And so here we see in 1 Timothy, let's, uh, let's look at verse 1. We'll begin in chapter 1. And first of all, this is the, um, it's a pastoral epistle that is uh, both instructive. So you, the, the purpose here, this letter obviously is from Paul, an apostle. He says, by the command of God. <laughs> I love that. He was commanded. You know how he was met on the road to Damascus. And uh, he was challenged as to why he was uh, coming against Christ himself, blinded for three days, put in that place, and then a servant of the Lord was sent, lays hands on him, the scales fall off his eyes, he's born again, and he's spirit-filled. And that's the beginning of Paul's journey. And often he'll even say it in this letter, he says it in other letters, that he was the least of all the apostles. And, and so we see, let's look at, verse, um, look at verse 3. No, let's look at verse 2 of, second, of 1 Timothy. He's writing to Timothy and he says, My true son in the faith, may God the Father of Christ Jesus, O Lord, give you grace, peace, and mercy. I want you to see there was a very, very unique relationship that Timothy, he was a young man. We'll, we'll see later in, in 2 Timothy, actually, his foundation is he had a legacy of faith through his mother and his grandmother. Um, but we see that Timothy had a relationship. He ends up becoming a real uh, true servant with Paul, is in prison. He actually is uh, sent to uh, Ephesus, the church that's in revival, and he ends up becoming the senior pastor there. And so we, uh, we see that Timothy has a special place in Paul's heart, and he's a true son of the faith. Well, let's look at, um, in verse 3, he says in there, he says, I urge you to stay in Ephesus. So he keeps Timothy at Ephesus while Paul is on his journeys, right? And so he's now writing to his son, his spiritual son, but he wants him to stay there and counter the heresies that are becoming part of this new generation that's coming up. So Paul commends him to do that. Um, and then he goes on, he says that his purpose, look at verse 5. We see here in verse 5, the purpose of my instruction is that all believers would be filled with love that comes from a pure heart and a clear conscience and genuine faith. So that's Paul's purpose for this instruction. It's very instructive. It's, it's really known as, as a pastoral epistle. It's an instructive manual. As opposed to one of the, the uh, new church where we read last week in Sunday that Paul was writing to the new believers at Colossus in the book of Colossians or in the church at Philippians and Philippi. And so this one is to his spiritual son. And it's full of instructive uh, for any of us as believers. So let's look at um, verse 9. We see here in verse 9, he warns, he says, there are those that have been speaking about the law. They're digging up the law. There's heresy that's being spoken. And, and Paul comes against them. We'll see later that he actually throws some of them out for being apostates, coming against, blaspheming against God. We'll see that in, one, in the last chapter, the second last chapter of this book. And we see, so he says, the law was for the lawless and for the rebellious. So that was, the, that was the purpose of the law was given, intended for those who do, is not for those who do right. But he says that he wants to stand against, look at the, the next set of verses, those who, he lists a number of things, those who are ungodly, sinful, 
that consider nothing sacred, right? Those who are sexually immoral, those who practice homosexuality, those who are slave traders. Today it would be those who are involved in sex trafficking, those who are involved in, in, um, in, in all of the, the foul and unclean, those who are liars, those who um, are lawbreakers, contradicting what, is, contradicting what is wholesome in their teaching. So Paul ta- tags a number of these events that people are performing, and he says, look, that's why the law is there. Then he goes on and he says, let's look at verse, verse 15. He's, in his humility, Paul then says that Jesus saved him. He's trustworthy. Everyone should accept that Christ Jesus came to the world to save sinners, and I'm the worst of them all. He goes on and he talks about how he had um, damaged those who were of the faith. He was, uh, he was very saddened by his first approach, but he was thankful that Christ had saved him. So let's, uh, let's move on. If we look at chapter 2, he gives instruction there. I like that uh, Jason started about making sure intimacy in worship. Well, Paul gives instruction here in verse 1 of chapter 2 of 1 Timothy. He gives instructions. He says, I urge you, first of all, to pray for all people, to ask God to help them intercede on their behalf. Give thanks for them. Because then he goes on in verse 5, he says, only God can reconcile both humanity to God. And then, he, of course, this theme is throughout all of his letters. In verse 6, he says, Christ gave his life to purchase our freedom. Wow. This is the message that God gave to the world just at the right time. And so in verse 8, he says this, Every place of worship should lift up holy hands, free from anger and controversy. Wow, wouldn't it be awesome if all of our churches, free from anger and controversy and division, and all people lifting up holy hands in worship, he would inhabit the praise of his people for that. Paul is instructing again his spiritual son here. Well, let's, let's go forward to chapter 3, verse 1. And now he addresses in chapter 3 of 1 Timothy. He says that the leaders of the church, this is a trustworthy saying, if someone aspires to be an elder. So now he's about to give instruction to Timothy. Think of him as he's a spiritual son. He's pastoring. He's, he's uh, countering those that are dealing with apostasy in, in the, the church at Ephesus. And so he's giving instructions as a father would or a senior elder would give. He said, let me tell you how you should assign people to position of eldership. Then he's going to go on. He's going to deal with the next position lower, which is in the deaconship. And so he says, so an elder must be a man whose life is above reproach. He deals with character. He's faithful to his wife. He must exercise self-control, live wisely, have a good reputation, enjoy having guests in his home, and he must be able to teach. That's the characterization or the attributes of an elder. Then he goes on in verse 8, he deals with deacons, and you'll notice that in verse 8 of that chapter 3, he deals with the same characterization there, but he also includes that a deacon's wife should also be of a good report a good reputation, conducting ourselves in the household of faith. Look at verse 14. Conducting ourselves in the household of faith, for we are the church of the living God. Isn't that awesome? We see that conducting ourselves, that these things that we ought to know, and then he hopes to be with us. 
Um, he goes on, and I think it's verse 16, he speaks of this great mystery that has now been revealed, that uh, this mystery of the faith that Christ was revealed in his human body, you'll notice that he continues in all of these letters that Christ came in a human form because there was a false teaching that was going on that he was only spiritual, it wasn't really there. And so he counters that and says, no, Christ came in a human body, vindicated by the Spirit, seen by angels, seen by nations, believed throughout the world, and taken to heaven in glory. Hallelujah. Those are good foundational principles. I want to read, actually, turn with me, if you would, if you have your, your sword, and turn with me to the fourth chapter. This one is very relevant to where we are when we start dealing with principalities and powers, the days, the, the season that we're in. So I want, to, I want to read the New Living Translation version of chapter 4, 1 Timothy. And so let's, uh, if you're there, I hope you've got your word out. If not, I'll have, uh, we'll, we'll pull it up. But this is what the Spirit expressly says. Now the Holy Spirit tells us that in the last times, so if you look at chapter 4, verse 1, Paul is telling Timothy prophetically that there is about to be in the latter days this place where now the Holy Spirit tells us clearly, expressly, King James says it this way, the Spirit expressly is telling us. So Paul had a prophetic revelation that one of the signs of the end, which you can see, you're going to see as this is unfolded, it certainly looks really close to where we are today, tells us that many will turn away from true faith. They will follow deceptive spirits and teachings that come from demons. Isn't that interesting? King James says it this, he says, some will depart from the faith and give heed to seducing spirits and the doctrines of devils. So we see that they will speak lies and hypocrisy, verse 2, having their consciences seared with a hot iron. New Living Translation says, these people are hypocrites. They're liars. Their consciences are dead. They will say it is wrong to be married and to be eaten certain foods. I'm told today that there are more people living together outside of a marriage than there are married, statistically by Barner. Sounds like a day we're living in. But he says, they will say it's wrong to be married, to eat certain foods, but God created these foods to be eaten. Thankful people who know the truth. Since everything God created is good, we should not reject any of it, but receive it with thanks. For we know that he made it acceptable by the word of God and prayer. Then he teaches Timothy a point. He says, if you will explain these things brothers, to my brothers and sisters, Timothy, you'll be a worthy servant. Of Christ, Jesus, one who nourished by the message of faith and the good teaching that you have followed. That's a good word, right? You can hear the elder statesman telling him. So then he goes on in verse 7. He says, Don't waste time arguing over godless ideas and old wives' tales. Instead, train yourself. Interesting statement. Train yourself to be godly. There's an instructive discipline in training to be godly. He goes on and says, physical training is good, but training for godliness is much better, promising benefits in this life and in the life to come. Verse 9, this is a trustworthy saying of everyone should accept it. This is why we work hard and continue in this struggle. 
And so Paul is instructing Timothy, but he's also dropping all these nuggets of truth. Verse 11, he tells him again, teach these things, insist that everyone learn them. That's pretty strong words. Don't let anyone think less of you because you're young. I think Timothy had some insecurities because this is a point that the elder father tells him. He says, don't let anybody tell you you're too young. Be an example to all believers in what you say, the way you live, in your love, your faith, your purity. Until I get there, focus on reading the scriptures in the church. Hallelujah. That's what we're doing. Encouraging the believers and teaching them. Do not neglect the spiritual gift. Now, here's a prophetic promise you'll get both in 1 Timothy and in 2 Timothy about the gifts that's given, the laying on of hands, the instructional, but he tells them why. That's why we have put a high emphasis on the words and prophetic words. Do not neglect the spiritual gift you received through the prophecy spoken over you by the elders of the church when they laid their hands on you, 1 Timothy 4.14. And so, why? Give your complete attention to these matters. Throw yourself into your tasks so that everyone will see that you're teaching and stay true to what is right for the sake of your own salvation and for the salvation of those who hear you. Well, what a great message for a pastor to have for his congregation. Let me quickly, I want to run through, and chapter 5 is really about advice to elders to widows. It's about relational things that are happening. Uh, it says, treat all elderly people as if it was your mother or your father. Then he gives instruction to Timothy, treat the younger women like you're, they're your sister in purity. Keep your thoughts right, Timothy. Be trustworthy in that. There must be men of honor in these days. And then chapter 6, um, he speaks of what are true riches. And he sums that up and be content with what you have, encourage everyone. So we see, let's pick up in, in uh, verse, verse 2. Let's look at that one. In treat older women, no, we're in chapter 6. So chapter 6, verse 2. Yeah, here we go. Um, teach these things, Timothy, and encourage everyone to obey them. And so we see there's no excuse for being disrespectful, uh, we should work hard. Then he goes on, don't slander, don't have evil suspicions. So teach these things. But now look at um, the scripture on money. Let's look at that one. It says, the love of money is the root of all evil. Verse 10. So 1 Timothy 6.10. For the love of money is the root of all evil. Not money itself being evil, but it's the root, <laughs> the love of it. If you love money, and you pursue that. You know, remember he said you can't love God and mammon. He shares that instruction. And so we see here in that scripture, don't, don't let money rule you. Don't be a love after that's an idolatrous thing. People who crave money have wandered away from true faith and have pierced themselves with many sorrows. And then he tells them to pursue godliness and finishes the chapter um, with such a, an instructive part of, I want you to see that there's this desire for purity, for holiness, for righteousness. And so um, I want to encourage us to 
read these scriptures. As you read 2 Timothy next week in your week-long study, it's a, it's a shorter chapter, but you'll see again instructively where Paul is telling them. This is where we get a lot of the scriptures about God has not given us a spirit of fear, but power, love, and a sound mind. So I want you to see as far as the um, relevancy to what we're seeing now in ministry team training and breaking free, do you see the foundational principles of godliness and holiness, pursuit of righteousness? What are the characterizations of a godly man or woman? What do they look like? How do you present yourself? If you're ever going to be a leader in the church or you want to be a deacon, which is a support person uh, in the church, then these characterizations are lifestyle, character. It's not just about anointing. You'll notice that in the book of Acts as well when they select people, men of good report, good character. All right, so let me shift now. I want us to draw attention to our ministry team training manual that we've been following on. You should have finished your reading through module seven. We've done both the healing module, the salvation model, and now we're going to pick up and we're going to go dive deeper. It's uh, this te- we're going to be in module eight in uh, page one. So if you'll turn to eight one in your manual, words of knowledge for healing and deliverance. Now, we, I want us to know instructionally, why is this so important? Well, first, let me, let, let's get grounded scripturally. You know, I like to go biblically first. So, if you'll turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. I want to do a little teaching before we dive into it so you see where does this instruction in words of knowledge come from? What is Paul referring to it here? What's the source of a word of knowledge? And then why is it useful? <laughs> okay. So 1 Corinthians 12, often known as the gifts chapter here, let me ask you to look at your 1 Corinthians 12. Let's begin in verse 1. I want to look at the first seven verses in the New Living Translation of 1 Corinthians 12, 1. So he says, brothers and sisters, regarding the question about special abilities, King James says that it's the spiritual gifts that he didn't want you to be ignorant. Paul, there must have been some questions from the church at Corinth about what about these gifts? What he says, look, I don't want you to be ignorant about this. I want you to understand the principles of the special abilities that the Spirit gives us and that you would understand this. Then he goes on, he says, verse 2, you know that when we were still pagans, you were led astray and swept along worshiping speechless idols. I want you to know that anyone speaking by the Spirit of God No one speaking by the Spirit of God will curse Jesus, and no one can say that Jesus is the Lord except by the Holy Spirit. This is interesting. If you're ever doing ministry and you're wanting to confirm whether someone is a born-again believer, have them profess that Jesus Christ is the Lord of their life. I've had them stop dead. They They can't say it, that proclamation of truth. And so we also know from Romans 10, 9, and 10, if I confess with my mouth the Lord Jesus Christ, believe in my heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So you see those principles there that the, the person who's not redeemed has difficulty. And certainly if they're demon oppressed, they cannot. The demon will stop that from happening. All right, let's go on. Look at uh, verse, verse 4. There are different kinds of spiritual gifts, but it is the same spirit that is the source of them all. I want to digress for a minute. King James says it this way. Now there are diversity of gifts, but it is the same spirit. Okay, so there's different gifts, and there are diversities there. 
King James says in the next verse 5, it says, There are differences of administration, but is the same Lord. Now, listen, look at the difference here. These are very different Greek words. And so you see one says there are different gifts by the Spirit, but it's the same Spirit. Then in verse 5, he says there are administrations given by the Lord. Let's look at the next verse, and then I'll come back and look at it. In, uh, in verse 6 in the King James, it says there are diversities of operations, but it is the same God who works all in all. So I want you to see he lists Spirit, that's given by the Holy Spirit, gifts that are given by the Holy Spirit. Then he says, the Lord gives administrations, and then God the Father, implying the Father there, Father gives operations. Example, um, Global River is an operation. We have certain um, body part focuses that we're on. Great, we're after missions, we're after House of Mercy, we're into deliverance ministry. Uh, First Fruits Ministry downtown has a specific outreach operationally. The Father has put these operations. He's selected different body parts and says, I need this operation here. Samaritan's Purse. We're hearing a lot about what they're really doing now. Uh, Franklin Graham, the president, honored him last night on the television about how he loved Jesus. It was awesome. And so Samaritan's Purse is an operation. But there's an administration part of it. Jesus, we know from the fivefold ministry. I read it earlier. In Ephesians 4.11, it says, he's given apostles, prophets, teachers, evangelists, pastors, what is their purpose? To equip the saints to do the work of ministry, which is what we're equipping now. And so we see that there's the Holy Spirit gives the gifts that operates. We're going to about, he's about to list nine of them. He's going to list wisdom, knowledge, discerning of spirits, faith, healing, miracles, tongues, interpretation of tongues, prophecy. So those gifts are given, those special abilities are given by the Spirit to operate among the church. But there's an operation that's given by the Father, and then there's an administration that's given by the Lord. You see the hierarchy of that, how that works? And it's clearly uh, identified in Scripture when you look at Ephesians and you look at uh, the other places where the gifts are listed, which will be in um, Romans 12, 6, and Ephesians 2 and 4, and 1 Peter 4 and 10. And so I want you to see, but then in verse 7, he says, the manifestation of the Spirit is given to every man in King James. He says it this way, a spiritual gift is given to each of us. Why? So we can help each other and build the church, (laughs) right? It's that the, the Spirit is given by the ability to, and then he lists what the nine gifts are. And so I want you to see that one of the gifts that's given is knowledge, a word of knowledge. And so... Let's go back now to your, your handout in your ministry manual in module, page one of, of module eight. A word of knowledge, the top of the page there, a word of knowledge is a supernatural revelation of information by the Holy Spirit. Paul received it, many of his revelations that way. And so we see in that, and we list the verse there actually, 1 Corinthians 12, no, we receive the spirit of the world, not the spirit that comes from God. We have, he says, now we have received, not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might know the things that have been freely given to us by God. These things we also speak, not in the words of man's wisdom, teaches us, but by the Holy Spirit he teaches us. So, words of knowledge for healing and deliverance. Let me give, uh, let me give an example. We were in uh, Brazil, I believe it was in, the Lord brought this to mind today, 
we were, there was a woman who was part of our ministry team. Her, her name was Cookie. And uh, she had never given a word of knowledge before. We had prayed. We had taught on this. And so we're in um, <clears throat> Manaus, Brazil on the Amazon. And Cookie gets this download, a picture in her mind of a woman, a young girl who's in severe amount of pain sitting in a hammock with a red rose under the hammock. She goes, man, that's just wild, but I, I think I've got that word. So we're up on stage. People are we're giving particular words of knowledge. So it comes to Cookie, and Cookie says, I'm just going to say what I saw. <laughs> I think I saw this. And she describes this young girl in pain in a hammock with a red rose. Turns out that family was sitting in the audience and they had, because she had such difficulty finding a place to find comfort from all of her pain, and they had given her a rose and they were praying for her. And, and the Lord downloads that, calls it out, Cookie ends up praying for the family, and the girl gets healed. And so a word of knowledge is a supernatural revelation from the Spirit because he wants to do something at that moment. And so words of knowledge are powerful. Um, I had one several years back. There was a particular couple in our congregation, and I had known that uh, they had wanted to have a child and they couldn't get pregnant. And I, I also knew that um, I believe that it was uh, the, the man was having the difficulty. And so one morning on Sunday morning, the Lord gave me a word, downloaded, says, you know, I think there's someone here <clears throat> that um, the Lord wants to do an amazing move right now. He wants you to get pregnant. And... Um, well, they said they left the sanctuary. He didn't know what to do with it. He left, got in his car, was getting ready to go home, turned around, came back, came in the sanctuary, came up front and said, that's me. And I prayed for him. Within three months, they were pregnant. <laughs> so and I believe now I've lost track of what they've moved away. But I think they have two children, if I recall the last. So I just want you to see the, the importance of the power. Probably the one that's one of my favorites. Um, this one happened. It was, it was such a wonderful, there's a, there's an Orthodox Jewish friend we have. His name's Gil Olochevich, and uh, we thank you that he is, um, he was coming to the sanctuary for the first time, and he came, and that particular Sunday, our youth group had come back from youth power invasion in Brazil with Randy Clark's organization, Global Awakening, and uh, our youth were really, they were, they were fired up. They had seen miracles, and so in the middle of Towards the end of the service, a 12-year-old named Andrew gets up and he says, I have a word of knowledge. Somebody's here. You've got pain in your left shoulder. If you'll raise your left arm right now, God's going to heal it. Well, Gil, uh, he tells this story everywhere, even in Israel. Um, it's, it's amazing. He loves to tell us this story. First time in a Christian church, he, stand, he, he had broken his shoulder on a bicycle accident. He got hit by a car in Tel Aviv, broke his left knee, broke his shoulder, had had multiple surgeries, was in pain, flew here, couldn't even get his arm up in the plane. He was describing to his partner, David, that he was in a lot of pain. Well, we don't know that, but God does. He gives that download to 12-year-old Andrew, gives the word. Gil is sitting right there, and he turns and he says, goes, and he turns to his friend and says, well... He lifts his arm, and he's instantly healed in his left shoulder. So that word of knowledge delivered that. He, he ended up getting pretty fired up. Six months later, he comes back to the church from Israel, and 
He'd been asked, well, how come God didn't heal your knee? It was broken too. He only broke. He goes, I didn't ask him to heal anything. I'm just glad to have my shoulder healed. <laughs> and so at that point, we had just trained our middle schoolers on being ministry team. You know, we don't believe there's any little Holy Spirit. You don't grow up to get a big Holy Spirit. So we equipped them to be a ministry team for the laying on of hands so they could pray in their, in their uh, small groups. And so the Lord just told me, he said, um, have the children come up. So I, th my, my, I think we had about nine of our really young middle schoolers come up. I said, okay, you're the ministry team. There's a word here. One of our guys had prayed for someone the day before in a wheelchair in one, I think it was Goodwill, and he got out in the parking lot. The Holy Spirit said, why didn't you pray for that lady in the wheelchair? He gets back out of his car, goes into Goodwill, goes and finds the lady, prays for her. She gets out of the wheelchair, right? And he's all excited, calls me up and says, Pastor, I got this great testimony I got to give. And I realize Gil is going to be in the service again. And he's, I don't know what's going on with his left knee, but I'm saying, man, maybe God is up to something. So I said, yes, give your testimony. So his name was Michael. Michael gets up. He gives his testimony about goodwill, and he says, I think I have a word. I said, okay. Uh, let me ask anyone who has issues with knees or joints, raise your hand, and our middle school ministry team is going to come lay hands on you. Well, Gil, again, is sitting right there. This little Anna Grace, I believe she was nine, if I have it right, um, pigtails, goes over, both he and she couldn't remember the details of what the exact prayer, but it was something like, there's no pain in heaven in knees. Gil described that he had fire go from his kneecap to his ankle, and he gets healed. He gets up to give his testimony from the six month prior, and he comes up, and before he gives his testimony about his, his shoulder, he's doing this. He's going up and down in the steps three times, and he's trying out his knee. Now, I'm, I'm getting, I'm about ready to get really excited, right? And he goes, in his broken English, he describes how six months prior, he'd gotten healed in his shoulder, and now the prayers of this little girl, he's healed again. So no big shot pastors. The Holy Spirit downloaded this and did it. And I've, I've seen Gil, he's an author, and he's a businessman uh, in Israel, and he's just, he's just excited. And we actually invited him to one of our outreach tent ministries one time, and he, he gave his testimony. He's just a powerful testimony. I want you to see the power of the word of knowledge. It's both an evangelistic tool, but it's also a download from heaven to a receptive audience of believers who now God wants to do something specific. So it's in the book. I've showed you where it is. It's here. And part of it is our uh, expectation and desire to operate in more of it. So let me, let me dig deeper in this one. You'll notice on page 8-2, that it says at the bottom, how to speak when you believe you have received a word of knowledge. Well, when can they come? Does it have to be in church? No. Uh, timing, it can be anywhere. You can be out in the store and all of a sudden the Holy Spirit wants to do something and downloads that to you. Be sensitive. Pay attention. You're always on duty, right, as a ministry team member. And so it can happen at any time, anywhere. Turn to page 8-3. Words of knowledge. Let's look at how they, uh, how they come they can come in different forms. One can be a feeling. I've had some of these, all of a sudden, I'll get a sharp pain that I didn't have before. And uh, Randy Clark, who often I've ministered with all over, uh, often gets them that way. He says, wow, there's something going on right here. So you could feel it in agreement. And so this throbbing sensation or pain. You can see it. You might see a body part 
bottom of page 8-3. You might see a crutch or an eyeglass or a cane. Um, you might read it. Some, some see a reading over the top of a person. Um, an impression. I get a lot of these. Um, recently, here, here was one. I was uh, in Costa Rica a couple of months ago, and it was really a wild, wonderful experience for us. There was an evangelistic outreach our Spanish pastor, Willie, went to. Uh, we were all in different teams. And our pastor in Costa Rica, uh, Iglesia de la Costa, sent us out. And Pastor Willie went to a particular house where a police officer was who was not, he was not saved. And if you know anything about Pastor Willie, he's an evangelist, right? I think he could lead this podium to the Lord if we had an opportunity. And so he just burns in that area. It's one of the fivefold ministry gifts, right? And so he goes to this house. He ends up leading the police officer to the Lord. Well, this police officer has been in the church one time. His family goes for years, but he's, he's not really a happy camper with everything. And uh, he had a lot of angst about the church. He was neighbors to the pastor. And so we didn't know a lot about that, but praise God. So he gets saved. Well, the night that we're doing a breaking free session at the church, that man comes in. Well, I don't know anything about him, really. I just heard that he had gotten saved. Well, the Lord, in the middle of my teaching, the Lord downloads to me that someone had gotten a broken left leg in a motorcycle accident. So, again, just because I've had some experience in how the Holy Spirit deals with me, I just say, look, I, gotta, I just got to let you know, somebody, is there anybody in here right now who want to pray? Did anybody ever get a broken leg from a motorcycle accident? Well, the police officer raises his hand. And he comes up, and I still remember, he says, how'd you know that? <laughs> it wasn't me. It was the Holy Spirit. What happened? That, it was just another uh, formation of the, of the revelation of the goodness of God. And we prayed for him. Pain left his leg. So this is, this is that place where um, the Lord can give you an impression, kind of paying attention. Sometimes it's just a, a fleeting thought. So pay attention to the small voice of how it comes, the small picture, the revelation of that. It can come in a dream or a vision. Um, sometimes you're just talking, all of a sudden a word will pop out. It's like, oh, okay. So those are all listed in 8.3 and 8.4. Pay attention of that. Sometimes in the bottom of that page, they can be rather vague. So I want to encourage us that um, we're sensitive to that. Here's a warning on page 8.5. Don't say more then you get. Don't try to elaborate or try to see into it. Uh, just really be specific. Um, I remember one of them in here is the, uh, well, I think it was Randy. I'm, 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 not, I'm not clear on who it was. Got a picture of a green hose that somebody tripped over and, and hurt themselves. And elaborated, said, I think I see a green garden hose. That's not what the picture was. Later, this man came up and said, I was injured at work by tripping over, I think it was an air hose. And uh, so the lesson there is don't, um, don't, don't exceed more than um, what you're given. Just speak the word. If, if Cookie, in that example of the woman in the hammock and the rose, had elaborated on it, it might have missed it, but it was so specific. The Lord will take care of it. When he gives you that, be specific on what he, what he says. Um, don't be... Um, don't be, don't speak like the Lord says. You know, just, you can be really humble in this. I think I'm seeing this, and is anyone, and just 
And don't be afraid. Don't be afraid to give it. Man, there's some amazing things that have happened. Um, on the bottom of 8.5, words of knowledge aid in the evangelism. So I'm, I want to be encouraging to you that when that happens, if you're in Walmart, you're somewhere, um, and the Lord gives you a download and says, you know, I just felt like uh, the Lord was saying I should do, come up to you and, and ask if I could pray for you. Is there anything? Go with it. Just let the Lord use you. We're salt and light. Amen? So in 8.6, that module on page 6 says that uh, it's, an, it's an effective aid to evangelism. Let's turn to page 9. The module now, um, these are specific conditions of how to pray. So in module 9, you'll notice we've, I've listed here just examples. These are actual examples that have come from the, from the mission field. Um, obstacles, we're going to deal more with that and obstacles of healing. But let me, let me give you, um, in the case on page 9-1, where it says suggested ways to pray for healing and specific conditions. Well, what are some of the obstacles to healing? This section assumes that obstacles to healing, which are connected to the beginning of an illness, will be dealt with preliminary stages in ministry. In other words, maybe there has to be forgiveness. Maybe there has to be repentance. Maybe there needs to be forgiveness of self. Um, let, me, let me give an example. Um, actually, maybe two. I like this example because it was so revelatory for us when we were starting out in deliverance ministry. Um, there was a particular woman, I, I, I believe it's in the book as well, Breaking Free book if you've got. I gave a free copy to everybody who's been coming on those first few sessions. Um, but if you're listening on this and you want a free copy, you call me, I'll get it for you. Um, anyway, so the, this particular situation, this woman had been an intercessor. She had um, been years faithful with God. And um, Pat and I, my, my secretary and I, were my administrator, we were doing this prayer ministry. And she had come to me and said, look, I think I've got some issues. I really have a lot of unforgiveness towards my husband. He's not a believer. He's very critical of me uh, going to, to uh, church. And it's gotten worse and worse over the years. And, and now when I start to pray, I actually curse. I said, no, that's not good. <laughs> and so I said, why don't you come to prayer ministry? Let's ask the Lord to deal with us. So we, I prayed for her. We set it up two weeks later. She comes and... Uh, she says to me, she goes, um, I think I'm really, ever since you prayed for me, my husband's being so wonderful to me. He's making me breakfast in bed. He's not being critical. I think everything's done. I said, yeah, you know what? We're set up to do ministry. I, I, I felt like the devil had taken cover. Oftentimes, he will do that. And so we're doing ministry. We're praying, and we're going through a confession and forgiveness. And suddenly, out of the blue now, it was never intended for me to ask this question, and it was never on her forgiveness or confession list because she felt like she had dealt with it. As soon as we started praying, um, I, I get this sense, I hear in my spirit, generational witchcraft. It was like shouting by the Holy Ghost inside. Generational witchcraft. The moment I get ready to speak that, my administrator, Pat, she says, I just saw a picture of a bag of black old beans in a burlap bag in the corner. So she says that. I say, Jen, I said, okay, wait, stop. That's a word of knowledge. One came by picture. One came by revelation. I said, let me ask you a question. Um, is there any generational witchcraft in your family? She goes, yes, but I've dealt with that. I've been a Christian a long time. I said, tell me more. 
She goes, well, her mother was a, was a, was a medium, a psychic. And when she was younger, she, her mother would take her to the classes and all the stuff and do all that stuff. And she said, even when I was a young believer, I went with her. But then I realized I can't do that, and I've stopped that, and I've repented of it. I said, yeah, but have you ever renounced it and broken that off, cut yourself free of that, come into agreement where two or three witnesses agree? No, I've never done that. And so I said, well, let's do it. I'd like, let's renounce generational witchcraft. So I said, please say that. So she goes, I, I renounce generational. And so she didn't even get the word witchcraft out. She jumped out of the chair, grabbed me around the throat. I remembered a move from my high school wrestling days. I do a fireman's carry, and I, and I pin her to the ground. And so now I'm sitting in my office with my administrator, praise God. Pat is there with me as a witness. And this woman, eyeballs are rolled back in her head, and out of, a, out of her voice, a male's voice says this, looking straight at me with these ugly-looking eyeballs, I'm high level, and she's mine, and you can't have her. And I'm like, I just get really annoyed with that lying spirit. <laughs> and I said, well, it just rolled up in me. I said, well, I know someone higher level than you, and his name is Jesus, and you're coming out. And then all of a sudden it starts this pitiful man cry. <laughs> Where will I go? Where will I? I said, well, why don't you go to the dry place in accordance with Matthew 12? Okay. The human personality comes back. She looks at me as I've got her pinned on the floor. And she comes back and she starts apologizing. Pastor, I'm so sorry. I knew something was there. We, we try to act dignified. We all... Pat, my administrator, she said if she could get to the door, we were between her and the door. If she could have gotten to the door, she was out of there. <laughs> but praise God, she stayed there. I remember her, her going into heavy prayer, praying, and wow. And so no more drama, no more emotion after that. But I want you to see that words of knowledge, pictures, revelation, the Lord knew exactly. This woman had come there of her own free will, wanted to be set free, was in pursuit of that. Seek and, the, and you shall find. Knock and the door will open. Resist the devil and he'll flee. Humbly come, right? James 4 says, if you'll humble yourself before God, draw close to him. He will draw close to you. Then you can resist the devil and he will flee. Biblically, that came together and that word of knowledge, that revelation is exactly what the Lord wanted to do. She came back a few weeks later, she's a, she was a professor at the UNCW. She said, I'd like to give a testimony in front of the church. I've been in marriage counseling for years, and I want you to know you can't cancel, counsel this thing. This thing needs to be cast out. And so she did that, came, and we had a real flurry of ministry team, prayer ministries after that. So I want you to see the power of what that is. And so um, let's, let's move on. What are some of the obstacles? What was an obstacle heel here of this? Well, that was the case of generational sin that had locked down this individual family. So we want to see these. We're going to go into more detail with these. And so sometimes there's forgiveness. Sometimes repentance is needed for all of this. Um, let me give one more example. We'll get to this in curses. But if you've read my book on Priscilla, this, this particular, um, when we were in Brazil, there was a particular lady named Priscilla. Um, we were praying. I won't, I won't give all the details. You can look at it in the book. But Priscilla was crippled. She had her leg turned out 90 degrees. Her back was all, she had had eight different surgeries. 
when she was one year old, her father had made fun of the next door neighbor who was crippled. That family went to a Macumba witch, paid the witch to curse his, his family. At one years old, Priscilla becomes crippled. That's a, that is a tormenting spirit, a crippling spirit that came on her. Eight surgeries couldn't fix it. So she comes to the meeting at Agua Viva in, in Sao Paulo, Brazil. And in that meeting, she walks in. She's crippled. She's got a walker. She ends up in front of my wife. My wife is doing the commanding prayers and praying, and nothing's happening. And so she asks the question, uh, have you ever been involved in the certainty, any unforgiveness? And she ends up, yes, I've been in, um, there's been witchcraft. My family's been cursed by Macumba witch. Um, I've been crippled ever since then. And so that starts a whole sequence. You can read the details of it in the book. The point of that one is she ends up, that blocking, that, that, that curse that was placed upon her, when she forgave her father, forgave the neighbor, forgave the, the witch, asked for uh, repentance from all of the rejection, the anger, the bitterness, the, the insecurities, all the things you might imagine uh, that she went through, all the pain of surgeries. When she got through all those blocking hindrances, at that point, she said, I want to walk. And this is one of the most powerful witnessed miracles that I've, I've ever witnessed. Um, my wife witnessed it was a it was a healing deliverance miracle. And so as she got up, my wife got on one side of her, I got on the other. We became her walker. And as she walked across the room, her back went straight and her leg went straight. Now, me as an ex-nuclear engineer, brainiac, where if you didn't see it, measure it, taste it, it didn't happen. And I'm like, I don't even believe what I'm seeing right now. And that was such a revelatory miracle that just... From that point on, I was wrecked, and I was convinced that this is the type of ministry that we must be involved in. And so, I want you to see that there are blocks and hindrances. All right, look, let's turn to, um, on page 9-2, you can start to ask questions about, say you're interviewing someone who has diabetes. They come up and they say, well, you know, I'm on insulin, I'm taking... You might want to ask, was this, did this come as an onsite of a child? Is it type 1, type 2 diabetes? When did it occur? Was any, so you're kind of like in the salvation model, and in the, in, because we're in the healing model, you're interviewing and trying to find specifics about the event. When did it start? And that's what these, if you look at page 9-3, um, pain in a, it's basically maybe there's pain in a body, but they have no known source of that. Well, that could be, and you start praying for them. I think we dealt with this maybe last time. You start praying for someone, and that's, that pain starts to move or it starts to intensify. That could be an afflicting spirit. It could be a spirit of pain. When it starts to move, oftentimes when we're in the middle of ministry and there's multiple uh, demonic re- uh, entities involved, that manifestation of the pain infirmity will start to try to operate to distract. I had one a few weeks ago. We were praying, and all of a sudden, this intense pain. She couldn't even participate anymore. She goes, I'm getting such pain right now, right here. I said, did you just start? Yes. As soon as we prayed against that afflicting spirit, it left in Jesus' name. So we want to we wanna look at situations, commanding prayers in that case in 9.3. Um, in 9.4... The short arm or short leg. I remember um, a word of knowledge. I was with Todd White. He had come here. Todd White and I was I was bring, checking him into the hotel down the road at Best Western, 
And I'm with Todd. If you've been with Todd, he's just like, wow. Um, so we walk into the hotel lobby, and the man behind the desk who's going to check him in, I'm there, and I'm telling him we had a reservation from our church. And instantly Todd says, are you having pain in your left leg right now? And by the way, is your left leg shorter than your other leg? And the guy just is like dumbfounded. He goes, yeah, I fell. I thought he said two stories. He fell a long distance. And he said, I have a plate. I have screws in my ankle and in my knee. And yes, my left leg is shorter. He says, well, would you like me to pray for that? The guy's like, oh, okay. So he comes out from behind the desk. Todd puts him in the chair, prays for him. The leg grows out right there in our in front. I'm like, the guy is blown away. I'm blown. It's like, yay, God. So again, what is the purpose? It was both an evangelistic tool, but it was also a word of knowledge. And so that skill set of listening to God and what is happening um, can be, he's not a respected person. He wants to give that to everyone. Turn to page 9-5. Many times you'll hear someone say, well, I have, I'm blind in one eye, it's been from birth, or I'm deaf in my ear. These are specific areas of commanding. Command, you see that on page 9.5, it says, command the healing and a specific cause. Cast out a spirit of deafness or a deaf and dumb spirit. We see that in the scriptures. Jesus did that to the boy in Mark um, 9. Blind eyes, commanding the, the blindness. I, I think I may have shared this at least with my congregation uh, we were in uh, Belém, Brazil. I was teaching for Breaking Three, about 250 uh, Brazilians to help us out in a conference we were going to be doing. We made 20,000. Randy Clark, Bill Johnson, we were doing that. I was going to run the deliverance area for them. So I was training them. At the end of the service, I'm about all done after like six, seven hours of training, equipping, and in walks this older lady, obviously blind, being led by an, what looked like an older man than her, He's leading her by the arm. They walk in. I'm sitting, standing on the stage, finishing up the teaching. They don't know anything. They walk in from outside, get up on the stage, get right into my face, stop the whole meeting. And uh, my translator comes over. His name was Avamil. Comes over and he, he gets the translation and says, she heard that um, you were here in town and Lord told her, word of knowledge, told her that if she would come to the church and I would pray for her, she would not have be blind anymore. And I'm like, oh boy, that's <laughs> okay. And so uh, here I am in front of 250 Brazilians that just trained. I'm like, Lord, I've, I'm, I'm not feeling a whole lot of faith right now. So this is where I operated in authority. And I just remember putting my hands on her eyes and I said, Lord, you said the blind would see, the lame would walk, the deaf would hear. In the name of Jesus, open her eyes. And he did. And man, the place went berserk, and so did I. I'm like, oh man, my little faith went to major faith. There were other people in the room got healed, broke out my team. It was like God wanted to release faith in the room for what we were about to do later that week when 20,000 people came, and we saw some of the most radical deliverances that we had seen to that point. And so I want you to see that God uses these miracles and these abilities through His people because he wants us to operate in these gifts. And it's so exciting. So I want you to be in pursuit of it. You pray about it. Ask God. Read through these. Page 9, 6, and 9, 7. Um, there's, there's so many specifics here. I remember another one. Uh, this was a, one I had years ago. A woman came to my office, had arthritic condition in her hands to the point, I mean, really bad. You could see how... Uh, 
all of the knuckles had been extended. And she says, I, ha I want you to come and pray for me, Pastor. I've come to your, your office, and I've been hearing about your mission trips and all that. And so I'd like you to pray for my arthritic pain. I've got to be able to move my hands. And so I, I started interviewing her. I said, so I knew a little bit. I said, you know, arthritis, a lot of times bitterness, resentment, unforgiveness can be manifested there. It's kind of like a shriveling of that uh, joint. And so I said, is there anybody you need to forgive? She goes, I've forgiven everybody, but there's one, and I won't forgive them. I said, well, <laughs> tell me about that. It turned out this person was in the prison, had murdered her son, and she refused to forgive him. So I, I'm doing my pastor thing. I said, well, you know, Matthew, Jesus said in Matthew that you, you must forgive or the Father won't forgive you. So I'm doing all that. And she goes, I don't care. I'm not forgiving him. I said, well, I'm not praying for you. She says, you're a pastor. You've got to pray for me. I said, I'm not powerful enough. The Scriptures, you, you, you've got bitterness and resentment, and I believe that's the manifestation. If you'll forgive, then we'll ask God to do it. And she's going on, and she's mad, and, and, and honestly, I'm a little annoyed too. And, and she says, fine, fine. I'll do it because you asked me to do it. I said, well, okay, you don't have to feel like it. You just got to do it. Be will, willing to do it. So she starts, and as soon as we, I start leading her in a, a, a revelatory prayer of forgiveness towards the man who, who killed her son, she starts crying. And there's more healing going on on the inner side of her heart. I don't have any grandchildren. And she just, man, it was like I'm teared up. She's crying and like, golly. But it was genuine. And then I prayed for her hands, and they straightened out. And so I got, again, another testimonial of the fact that God wants to, but His Word has to be followed. And He said, unforgiveness and bitterness. So these are, again, hindrances to prayer. You can see asthma, page 8 is carpal tunnel, bowed legs, fevers, sciatica, page 9, uh, cracked tailbone, varicose veins, praise God. Um, so I want you to see that the conditions that do not readily lend themselves to healing in page 10, sometimes you don't know. Like it's hard to see if somebody who's a diabetic, you're praying for them unless they, you know, take a look at their blood sugar or whatever. Um, so sometimes you can't get an instant feedback on what's going on. Ask him to check it out, work on it, walk on it, see how it's feeling. Is it, is it better? Is it worse? What's the pain? And so... Don't let that um, hinder you in praying. Ask the person to check it out. If it's a daily thing, they have to take their blood, blood levels. Then sometimes just a matter of soaking. When you're, someone comes up for prayer, don't be in a hurry. Lay hands on them, pray, sometimes just soak, and watch what the Holy Spirit's doing. If you get fluttering of the eyes, tears start running, don't interrupt that. The Holy Spirit is working. Some of the greatest healings manifest first with the healing of the heart, and then they manifest into healing physically. So just let the Holy Spirit have His way. Remember, this is about love. It's always and always, first and foremost, if it's not about love in 1 Corinthians 13, then it's just a bunch of noise, and it's not going to be valuable. So cancer, diabetes, page 12. Um, and then module 10 we'll pick up here. Uh, next week, I'd like you to look at module 10, which is the potential hindrances to healing, and then page, uh, module 11. So next week, I'd like you have read through both module 10 and module 11. What are the hindrances to healing and what are the curses?
and you'll see some of the correlation between them. Then we're going to get, the following weeks, we're going to get deep into deliverance. We're going to really look at, and we're going to actually do the models of deliverance. We will, uh, we will mock up some of those. And then we're going to look at prophetic guidelines. So we're finishing. We have uh, three more weeks. This is coming down just like it. But you've got to do the homework assignment. You've got to read um, 2 Timothy and then read those two modules. I wanted to end tonight. Um, just, you know, every night I've been trying to call attention to different forerunners. Um, I want to call your attention tonight. There's, when we talk about hindrances or generational things. We, we've spoken in the past about the, the sins of the Father, Exodus uh, 20, verse 5. The sins of the Father can visit to the third and fourth generation, but He will bless to a thousand generations those who love Him. Um, I had a grandfather who was a Mason. He died at an early age of an aneurysm, had run off with another woman, left my grandmother to raise my 11. My father was 11 at the time. His sister was 13. And so that did some damage to my father. Uh, as a kind of an orphan spirit. Um, and so I wanted to draw your attention. One of the hindrances and one of the things is Freemasonry, which is a cult. And there's, there's lots of books on it. This book, I know Barbara Casada, uh, she wrote a book, Unto Death. You can get that online. There's another one on Freemasonry by Jack Harris, but there's others. If you have someone who's been involved in any form of uh, the Freemasons, you can look at the curses associated with that, and it will come down through the generational lines. That's a hindrance to healing and prayer. It's also a source of a curse. We're going to deal more of that probably in the next couple of weeks, but I want to call your attention to that. And so one of the ones I was reading today, um, Don Basham's book, Deliver Us from Evil, this is a really good account of a denominational pastor a traditional pastor who didn't have any clue, never dealt with this in seminary, and yet people start, he ends up witnessing demonic activity in his congregation. And he, he, he accounts on how he came to understand, and then he becomes involved in deliverance. He says, let me just read his, his cover here. It says, the idea of demons or demon possession was to Pastor Don Basham far-fetched. But when members of his new congregation displayed behaviors and revealed problems of strangely unresponsive to traditional Christian answers, he was forced to take a closer look at what the Bible says about evil spirits. Step by step, Don moved from disbelief in the existence of demons to the acceptance of their reality. And as he identified, then he put to work principles in the teaching ministry of Jesus. As Don prayed for people for deliverance, first hesitantly, Later, with more conviction, the results were dramatic. In these pages, you'll find more than a good detective story, more than a triumphant testimony of ordinary people hailed of, healed of ailments, freed from anxiety, released from addictions. You'll find a, com a compendium of Bible teaching on warfare and evil spirits, as well as the biblical conditions for deliverance how to pray for yourself for the deliverance, and how to protect yourself against demonic invasion. Deliverance is more than a freedom from evil. It is delivery into the freedom to love and serve the Lord. It's a great testimony. And there's some, it's how he came. We actually did a, a Bible study in the church a while back that uh, we walked through this as a, as a kind of an introduction to that. 
So there's many others. I think I called your attention last week. There's a re another really good one. Uh, Chris Volatin, one of my amazing mentor guys, wrote a book on spiritual wars. Chris himself was demonized for years. He gives this open testimony of where he'd come out of, the things that happened to him, uh, and how he got set free. It's really an, uh, winning the invisible battle against sin and the enemy. One of the real forerunners that um, I, I love his stuff, both his wife, Adam A. Hammond, and Frank Hammond wrote this one, The Saints at War. So there's just, again, if you're diving deep into this revelation, not that we're focused, you know, it just is. It's part of the war. It's a love story. It's a war. So understanding that revelation is um, important for us to understand that we have this authority and we have an expectation from the Lord. And so it is your responsibility and mine to become skilled in this level of warfare. We often share out of Mark 16 that there's a sign that follows the believers. Go see it in Mark 16. The first one listed there is cast out demons in my name. So if you're a believer and you're watching and you're sitting here saying, oh, I don't want to do that. Well, hello. You mean you don't want to follow the Scripture? I know you're not saying that. So read that. Cast out demons in my name. It goes on, it says they'll be able to handle deadly things and not be harmed. They'll be able to lay hands on the sick and they'll recover. The last verse of that chapter, uh, Mark 16, it says that the Lord worked with them, co-labored with them, doing signs and wonders to validate the message they bring is true. That's why whenever we go and do conferences, or we, we always incorporate healing, deliverance in that because it's the full gospel. We started that weeks ago. That's the full gospel. It is the sozo, right? 110 times in the New Testament, sozo, that Greek action verb that's used for salvation, healing, and deliverance. We listed all the scriptures that interchange that word. Jesus, go, I, I challenge you to do this. Take the book of Mark, Go through every of the 16 chapters of that, and every time they spoke of the kingdom or salvation of the kingdom, the kingdom is at hand, put a little salvation S next to it. Every time Jesus healed, put a little H next to it. And every time he delivered, put a little D next to it. And then you go to the end and count them up, and guess what? You'll find it's about one-third, one-third, and one-third. So if Jesus put that emphasis on, and he is the one we're supposed to emulate, right? Greater work shall you do because I go to the Father, John 14, 12. And he goes on, he says, 1 John 3, 8, he says, Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil. So, I mean, biblically, I don't know how we cannot become skilled in this level of warfare. And so, my heart, my desire is that we would step into this place and we would become skilled in warfare know our identity in Christ, not afraid of the devil. We, remember I read to you, do not let the devil intimidate you. It'll be a witness to him and to his minions that you, he, you know where you're going, he knows where he's going. And so um, I just want to encourage you to, to, to maybe get some additional resources. There's another one that uh, is really powerful, and it deals with Rules of Engagement by Cindy Trim. This one is The Art of Strategic Prayer and Spiritual Warfare. Um, we talked a little bit, not a lot, that there are different levels of prayer. Our intercessory group that we meet with, we often have between 17 to 27 intercessors that meet every Wednesday. We've done it for 20-something years. We meet and we, we ask the Lord to give us assignments. That is a strategic level 
of high-level intercessors, and we engage. Right now, we're involved. Just interesting, uh, one of our leaders, Mary Esther, back in August had gotten a dream, a vision, a revelation that there were these modules that we were supposed to take a module every month. It's amazing how it's lined up. This particular month, April, is to pray for against all sickness, disease, plagues, and here we are in the midst of the coronavirus. Well, Lord knew that. That's a strategic warfare plan. So we've been standing in agreement with many pastors. Uh, some of you have told you, set your alarm for 714. 714, many across the globe are coming into agreement for Second Chronicles 714, if my people who are called by my name would humble themselves and pray. And so what, that's a strategic level of spiritual warfare against principalities and powers. Make no mistake about it. This coronavirus is killing. The devil has come to kill, steal, and destroy. It is a plague that's being released, and there's a time for the people of God to stand up and say, stop. That's why we believe that this Passover, this coming April 8th, that night of the Passover, we're going to see God. There's prophetic words going out right now. We're standing in the gap, standing for a nation, standing for a people, standing for your family. Join in on that. That is a strategic level of warfare to see the devil's work destroyed and lives saved. We also need to pray for our president. So that is a strategic war. But there's also this ground-level warfare that we talk about with individuals that come in that are sick and tormented and broken. So we need to know what skill set is used for strategic level. You never want to engage against principalities and powers by yourself. I believe you should do that as a group. We come in together as a covering. It's introduced by the Lord who tells us what to do. That way there's a protection. There's a book. I don't think I have it with me here. I have it at home right now. But there's one on the needless casualties of war. John Paul Jackson's book where people engage. Well, I can take on the devil. I can do Unless you're called to that fight. Remember, David never went to war unless he asked the Lord, should I go? Yes, go. And he even gave him strategies on how to do it, right? Sometimes it was a frontal attack. Sometimes Gideon, like, you know, take your torch and your, your jug and your, your horn and send everybody else home except for 300. Strategically, the Lord will give you the strategy for war. But we have to ask him. Don't presume that, oh, this is the way he's always done it. Let's do it. No, the Lord wants to be involved in that relational uh, engagement. So let's, uh, let's agree on, on that. There's, there's, there's several other of these books. Um, I think I talked to this one before, Defeating Dark Angels. This one, we've had people really get convicted by reading Charles Kraft's book on Defeating Dark Angels. Um, this one, Unbound, is another one by Neil Lozanzo. Um, there's just... I think I had up here like 30 last week. So I just want to encourage you. But I would ask you, please, if you've never read my book, Breaking Free, I gave everyone who came here, I said, you get a free copy. Um, I want you to read that because we're at, towards the end of this, in the next few weeks, we're going to go into the destiny model. I'm not exaggerating. We have done countless thousands of individual and corporate prayer ministries using that model that the Lord gave us. And that model, if you'll follow it, you will not hurt the people you're ministering to, and you will not get hurt yourself. I can promise you that. We've seen it and tested it under some of the most warlike conditions in the most darkest places in the earth. And so I want to encourage you, read the book. Get to the first part. The first part's a bio, how we got there, the lessons we were learning. But towards the back is, how do we now start? What's the process of destiny model? And then 
How do you stay? What's the prayers you can pray? What are the different steps of that model? We found also that uh, if you follow it correctly, um, you won't have a whole lot of drama. Sometimes there's drama, but if you'll tie up the strong man and deal with unforgiveness and deal with um, confession, if you'll deal with those two things first, that power of that enemy gets more and more. Matthew 12, Jesus deals a great deal with uh, how how to tie up the strong man. Forgiveness and confession. Remember, humble yourself, James 4. Humble yourself. When you confess sin to someone, James 5 says, the effectual fervent prayer of the righteous shall accomplish much. Confessing your sins one to another that you might be sozoed, healed, saved, delivered. And so we, this, this process, it's real important that you now get the homework. Hey, most everybody's home. You're probably doing projects. I got a lot of honey-do lists I'm doing. It's okay. But take time to make you do your reading. Take your time to, as Jason was telling us at the start of the session, take time to be with the Lord and do this study. We'll, we'll see that God is going to deliver us into this place of being warriors for God. Well, I want to pray for us as we close out tonight. First of all, thank you so much for uh, being with us. I understand we've got people in the parking lot. Blessings. They're on our 95.3 FM station. God bless you all. Thanks for being so diligent for that. I'm glad you're hungry people. God loves hunger. Uh, Thank you, those who are listening online, those who are going to join us. Let me pray right now. Father, I thank you in the name of Jesus that you have given us power and authority. In Luke's gospel, chapter 10, you said when those 72 came back that they were so enamored by the fact that even the demons were subject to the name of Jesus. And Jesus said, yes, I know. I saw Satan falling from the sky. But don't Get so excited about that. Be excited that your names are registered of citizens in heaven. But then he says, in no way I have given you authority, and in no way can the enemy injure you. So we just take authority now over plagues, sickness. We've been standing under Psalm 91, that no weapon formed against us, Isaiah 54, 17, shall prosper. And any tongue which is risen against us in judgment, whether it's condemnation or witchcraft or gossip or hatred or judgment or unforgiveness, we break all that off right now. We forgive those individuals, but we condemn that tongue. It has no authority. And whoever's conjuring up junk against us, we believe those that are in the Amazon right now because we're coming to Colombia in June in Jesus name we've been seeing some witchcraft and that it is powerless it's going to return it cannot come and so Lord I thank you for the blood covering we stand under the Revelation 12 promise that we are completely covered in the blood there's a hedge of protection we have overcome now by the blood of the lamb and the word we now testify and so lord i thank you cover these families cover them give them peace rest in their homes in the mighty name of jesus amen god bless you love you thank you for being with us tonight have a great night